I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI on Ask a Leader. Your hostess today, as usual, Claudia Shambaugh. Today we're fortunate to hear from a counselor and a therapist, Troy Timmons, who's developed some tools toward understanding, preventing, and identifying child sexual abuse. And during the second half of the show, my guest will be Richard Linden, CEO of a Newport Beach startup that's recently launched a website to put job seeker, or that's gig seeker he calls them, with employer. We'll be right back after a brief break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. This is Claudia Shamba. As I said, we're learning from local, national, and international press about a spate of cases against child sexual abuse. Most immediately are those cases coming from the L.A. Unified School District nearby. Every day seems to be another individual surfacing as an educator who's perpetrated another crime against a student. Well, we're fortunate to have as our first guest today Troy Timmons, a therapist and seminar presenter in private practice in Amarillo, Texas. He provides individual and group therapy and seminars on how to prevent and respond to child sexual abuse. He is a licensed professional counselor, and uh, he works with uh, offenders as well as uh, victims and members of um, uh, family members of victims, um, working with um, as a uh, certified collaborative law, mental health provider, and an anger resolution therapist. So he's really covered a lot of bases and understands this whole dynamic. Having interviewed hundreds of accused and admitted sexual offenders, he specializes in providing treatment to both victims and offenders of sexual abuse. He has written a uh, book called Mommy, Please Read This, Facts About Child Sex Abuse. He comes to us this morning from Amarillo, Texas. Welcome to the show, Troy Timmons. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, recognizing that there's 39 million survivors of sexual abuse in the U.S., it's, um, I don't think it's controvertible. It's uh, one in three, perhaps one in four girls, one out of six boys are victims of sex- child sexual abuse. Who, Troy Timmons, are the most likely victims? Well, well you know, the when you look at the most likely victims um, demographically, the average age is, is around nine and a half years for both boys uh, and girls. We've learned quite a bit about what uh, what offenders look for and potential targets uh, victims, and I think that's important information. Some of what we've learned is, is that the child that perhaps is less assertive, for example, or in a uh, perhaps a, a, a one-parent situation, uh, we know that those childs oftentimes are, are targeted by offenders uh, simply because there's in, in many ways a, a void uh, that can that can be exploited, and so I would say, you know, you're, I think the numbers, as you said, are, are correct. One out of three, or one out of four, before age 18, girls, and one out of six boys, and um, of course, those tend to be perpetrated by a family member or a friend of the family. So typically, the child knows and has actually a relationship with uh, the person that's sexually abusing them. Well, we'll talk about that asymmetry, too, a little bit. So we've talked about a likely victim, and you then in saying that's a family member, let's is there maybe a, an array of features of those that are most likely to do the abusing? 
you know, that this is part of the heartache of the, this whole situation. Mm. Whenever we try to to predict or identify offenders before the fact, um, we've been very unsuccessful, whether it's sociology, psychology, criminology, um, psychology. And what is interesting about the offender population is they seem to be incredibly normal when compared to the rest of the population, with the exception of their deviant sexual behavior. Oh, my so goodness. They, for example, they tend to be, you know, a mirror image, if you will, of the community that, that you reside in. Uh, we know that uh, when you break out the numbers, then 90% of, of the time in the United States that child is abused, they're abused by a friend of the family or a family member. And then when you break that out a little further, we know that neighbors uh, take up a large percentage, um, uncles and stepfathers, and, and uh, then the biological father make up the top four. So that is true that the predominant uh, preponderance of abusers are males. Yes, yes. It is true. We don't really know as much about the female offenders uh, because they are um, even uh, underreported more so than their male counterparts. But uh, but it's a fair statement to say that the majority of the offenders are male. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's. I guess, can we talk about maybe the asymmetry? I think that's, that's what really um, concerns me is um, that there is... A, a an apparent child coach uh, athlete uh, pastor um, congregant you know all of these dynamics it's just a, a matter of there's power there's clout there's um, everything giving that adult the opportunity to make this an exclusive kind of a perpetration of this uh, 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 on this child what do we what can we uh understand about uh better about this asymmetry? Yeah, great, great question. And it really kind of cuts to the heart of, of I think, our, our bigger message. You know, one of, the, one of the good things that's coming from the Penn State tragedies in the, in the Los Angeles area case that's recently in the news is that we're, we're talking about this issue. And with those numbers, one out of three and one out of six, you know, we, we desperately need to be discussing, uh, discussing this. What we've learned, what I've learned from interviewing lots and lots of offenders over the years, is their ability to establish rapport and trust uh, and then intensely listen and devote a great, deal, uh, a great deal of energy, effort, time, and resources into that child is really their greatest asset. They're, um, in so many ways, coming in and taking the place of the responsible adult and being that person. For example, one offender recently said, when asked, you know, how did you set up a target victim, you know, again and again we hear, I, I listen to them, I spend time with them, I'm the person that they can tell anything. And so some of the relationships that, you know, that we see in, in these higher profile cases are actually what we see across America, a person who first gains the trust of the caregiver who says, your child is safe with me, and then secondly is building a very real um, relationship with that child in that, um, you know, they want the child to be able to tell them anything and be able to trust them, and and um, and then later, typically, the sexual activity. Well, I'm just trying to think of markers here for all of us, because we all of us felt really very helpless about reading the unfolding, and I, I frankly, I frankly... I put a limit on reading about this. I put a real limit on reading uh, what was going on LAUSD. The, I'm sorry, Los Angeles Unified School District, because mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, it's a bit borderline pornographic to read about some of these really miserable case studies. So I, I sort of I want to know kind of generally what's going on. The sort of uh, the takeaway message for me to be more a responsible community member. But so I, I can't say that I read you know line by line about what actually the perpetrator did. But but look, I am interested in the markers and sharing this with my listeners this morning is sure. that we um, can we see that if this adult seems to be interested in establishing this rapport with with our child or the I don't know if we're, uh, we're able to uh, witness, you know, uh, observe other other people's children's, um, you know, uh, other people's children's encounters with other adults. Do we see uh, perhaps um Maybe there's more interest this man or woman has in make gaining this report. This child, we don't see 
evidence of their having lots of peer relationships, or is, is that a marker? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the way I like for, for people to understand it is that if a person seems to be taking an interest in your child, that really goes beyond the scope of their relationship with the child or their, their vocation, their, you know, the reason that they're involved with the child in the first place. Then that's something that parents need to, you know, take um, take note of. If, uh, for example, I'm a therapist in private practice, I see lots of children in my practice. Uh, it would be unusual, for example, if a therapist were to, you know, want to interact one on one with a child outside of the practice and outside of the parents' care. Um, if that makes sense. And so we're talking about, you know, with children on the preventative side, for example. We're, we want children to understand that everybody has a job, but if you think about it, whose job includes touching or seeing your privates? Um, you know, and you can count those people on one hand, the, the appropriate caregivers and medical professionals. So if we, if we look at it from a little different angle, one of the things that we're trying to get parents and children to understand is that whether I know you or not, whether I trust you or not, whether I like you or not, whether you're my favorite teacher or coach, that's simply not your job. Okay. It's simply not your job. And so empowering them. And so I think for markers, the parent that observes, um, you know, an adult who, you know, the interest goes beyond their vocations, their responsibilities. I think that, that that's something that should be, you know, um, at least noted um, as, a, as a, you know, potential factor. For those of you who've just uh, joined us this morning, my guest is Troy Timmons, a therapist specializing in child sex abuse cases, author of Mommy, Please Read This, Facts About Child Sex Abuse. Are there other uh, markers, Troy Timmons, that you want to share with the listeners this morning? Well, I think, you know, some of the, the obvious, the, if there's a prior history of accusations, you know, it's unfortunate that oftentimes I meet people who... Um, you know, are aware that a person has, um, has uh, you know, been in trouble for, for something or there were allegations, I think that people need to be very respectful of the history. Um, now, having said that, we also know that when the average offender in the U.S. is caught, they have no previous criminal history, typically speaking. Uh, but if, you, if you're in a situation where uh, you know that this person has been in trouble like this before, then, you know, I think that parents should be aware of that and should um, be diligent in, in making sure that that person is not alone with their child. And, uh, unfortunately, that, that, you know, that does happen. Uh, I think another marker would be any involvement with uh, child pornography. Uh, you know, pornography, there have been lots of studies where people are, or the government was looking at, does mainstream pornography eventually equal child sexual abuse? And that correlation doesn't seem to be there. However, with child pornography, uh, that correlation is very strong. But how do very we know that? I mean, how do we know somebody's using that? Well, for example, if you if you stumbled across it on your computer, okay, you know your 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 paramour, uh, your husband, uh, your boyfriend. Okay, those are like that. okay. Somebody's related to one, not necessarily the parent of the child is being abused, but somebody right. who's okay so that that's an important one then and as you said it's highly correlated with um oh, the behavior yeah and i think the other thing that you know just as communities as i've done interviews uh, across the, really the nation um, on this issue recently um really just helping people understand that this typically is a family systems issue uh you know it's not the stranger in the trench coat in the bushes that poses the greatest risk to our child and I think that we really have to come to terms with that. That's uncomfortable for us to think about, that someone that I know, love, care, and trust might be capable of this. But until we accept that, then I don't think that we're really, you know, keeping children as safe as we can. Well, I know with the testimonials about your uh, book, Mommy, Please Read This, uh, Facts About Child Sex Abuse, that... Um, some of the testimonials say, I can't bear to read this material. And, you know, I guess the, the, the idea is arming ourselves. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more bearable arming ourselves with, with the data so that, I guess, more unbelievably unbearable things don't happen because we were able to maybe, maybe intervene at the right time. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I talk about that in the opening of the book where I had given a, parent, uh, a really excellent resource on, 
on child sexual abuse, but she came back to me and she said, I, I just can't read this. It's so heavy and it's so difficult. And so really that was the goal in Mommy, Please Read This, was to produce a book that is approachable, that can, uh, you know, tie together with stories of, of hope and healing, but primarily giving parents information that they desperately need to know. Well, and of course with those numbers, whoa, 33% of our daughters, oof. granddaughters, before age 18, this is something that we just can't afford to ignore. It's the most unbearable detail beyond the um, reading um, about how to arm ourselves. Well, if you've written this book for, let's say, the adult, I don't know if your audience is also young people, but what is what is out there for a parent to, um, let's just say, put on, instead of putting on the uh, the bed for the child to read the, uh, the early primer on, primer on sex education, what is there um, something that's available, it's published, that... Uh, engages the the young reader about um, child sexual abuse. You know, there there are a few resources. I wish I could tell you that there there is an abundance of that material. Um, yeah, a wonderful organization called Darkness to Light uh, here in the United States, and also Safer Society Press includes a lot of uh, resources for parents on prevention. Um, myself and an artist here in Texas, uh, uh, Tanya. Carter have a, a, a small children's book that will be available later this year called That's Not Your Job, and, and that's going to ah. be exactly what you're describing, which is for the parent or the teacher uh, to, to um, you know, read through this book and talk about whose job is it to, you know, that, that would need to touch you or see you there. And, and we're really excited about that because I think that, you know, we really have to, we really have to shift the paradigm. We have to move away from stranger danger being the core ingredient of prevention in the U.S. So I guess that's where prevention is, is then, uh, I guess it's, and it's a fine line in improving, a, equipping a child to deal with this and sort of destroying their their innocence, if, you know, they're not at risk. I guess that's the it, fine line. It really is. And I think that, I really believe that the, the greatest asset, the greatest gift that we can give to children and, and, you know, trying to make them less of a target is teaching them assertiveness teaching them that it's perfectly okay to tell a grown-up no, teaching them that um, nobody's job includes this, and, and, that it, and that, you know, run to a safe adult that you trust, talk to somebody that you, vis- you, know, that you trust, and, and make it approachable. But I agree, it is a very fine line, because if you overdo it, you make it taboo, or you, or you make it, um, you know, take on a life of its own. Right. And then if we don't do anything then in that situation, the child doesn't know what to do. Oh, my goodness. This is it's such an unbearable situation to think about. And as you said, we're talking about a third, a third of the daughters. And, and when, you've, when you've interviewed these sexual offenders, I think maybe all the listeners already know that what, what is the percentage of them have been abused in their childhood? Oh, yeah. Well, the, you know, the myth has always been that people do this because it happened to them. It's a myth. And, um, that, that's it's just not the case. Oh, is that right? Uh, re- most recent research suggests about thirty-five percent. So thirty-five percent. That's very important. I'm so glad you asked that because I want you to imagine how incredibly unfair is it if one of your listeners this morning, you know, was was had that unfortunate experience of, of being an abuse survivor. If we allow that myth to stand, oh. then what we're really suggesting is if you're a survivor. You're more than likely going to do this. We're yeah. going to implicate you. We got a false yeah. positive on our conscience there. Yeah, exactly. And that's so hurtful and so unfair. I think the other proof of that is this: you know, we know that the majority of the offenders are male. We know that the majority of the the, the survivors are female. If that were true, I think we would see a much greater number of female offenders. So, uh, we you know, oh, that's estimate interesting. about thirty-five percent. That does make sense. If the right, uh, oh my goodness! So, and the other, I guess, uh, it's a difficult uh, prescription. But uh, as you said, the conditions for this kind of abuse are where there is a void. Where you know we've got to make sure we our child knows how much you know they're loved and how much they're uh, you know there's a, a world that matters. Uh, to them, that matters that 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 child matters to the world. I mean, all that keeping that void from um, becoming entrenched in that child's mind, so that their that perpetrator doesn't get that opening. 
Yeah, and that consistently has been what offenders have, have said that was their way in. Um, recently an offender said, I said, you know, if you had the opportunity to address parents, um, you know, what would you say? And and he said, I would tell them if, if you're not there, I will be. If you're not listening, I want to. If you're overbearing, I won't be. And so they're they're really coming in and they're they're stepping in and and fulfilling in so many ways, you know that child's uh, you know needs. And and sometimes that's because of of you know the the separation of the family. Sometimes that's because we're we're just so busy going in a thousand different ways. Uh, you know we don't. I'm, I'm, I don't want to villainize the, the, the parents. No, we're not. Uh, we're doing, that's what I'm saying. It's a very tough prescription to say. No voids. No voids allowed. Right, exactly. But but the offenders again and again and again say, this is how I did it. And it's not through force. It's not even typically through threats of force. It's through grooming. It's through establishing a relationship with the child. And I think another myth is a lot of people think that if this allegation is true, the child would appear to be fearful of the offender or of the accused. And we don't see that. We see just the opposite. We see a child who uh, typically has a, a, a great fondness and a great affection for the offender. And that's because the offenders are skilled at, at um, you know, developing this relationship through grooming. Wow. Well, that makes me want to turn our attention to that marvelous New York Times Sunday sports feature of I haven't heard her her name pronounced, Quinita Underwood, or Queen Underwood. She's an aspiring Olympian boxer out of, she was in Seattle, and her mother was, let's see, they were, her parents were separated or divorced, and so she was living with her father and her sister, and she, I mean, you're familiar with the story, are you not, Troy Timmons? You know what, I'm not. Did this just come out recently? Oh, it came out, it was, I think, a... I want to say two to three Sundays ago, and it it was an an, an incredibly large uh, feature, and I want to suggest that everybody get a look at it. Was a, a Sunday uh, sports feature in the New York Times, and um, well, so I'll just put out a little bit here. Now the thing is that she's she's been training to qualify for the boxing event in the Olympics in London, but she says. I, you know, I didn't know I was going to have to do this, but I'm going to go public about my child abuse. And the situation was, she's living with her father and her older sister. I'm thinking a, a couple of years older than the sisters than she, and so she had sort of had to fake being asleep when her father was perpetrating this crime on her sister. And she thought, oh, yeah, and she talked about the walls being thin and and knowing this was going on and feeling so helpless. Oh, she was, yeah. uh, and she she thought now if she had, um, if she was quiet, I'm not sure, she she, she pretended like she was uh, being asleep. Then she realized, wait a minute, she would have been, uh, it was a better device for her to sound, uh, to sound more restless. And so what it did, though, is the father took the sister into another room. So mm-hmm. anyway, that over the years... You know, it's, it's as uh, as all of your literature discusses. There's a toll on the body as well as on the mind with this assault on the child. But she eventually, the father started to abuse her as well, and it's it's uh, it's an amazing kind of a story and how uh, the the toll is taken on her. Now, the difference between Quinita Underwood and most children we know is she has been able to cope because of this drive to be an Olympian. And so um, I guess that that may be another sort of a preventative thing or maybe a restorative thing is providing these children maybe that we know are abused, uh, working with uh, them on finding some kind of purpose so they don't feel like it's all lost. Oh, absolutely. You know, and working with families of, of, of children, that have been abused. You know, we talk about some of the fundamentals. The most important thing a parent can do is to believe their child. Um, you know, if, yes. if this comes up, and and unfortunately, that's a tremendous source of heartache for children if they risk, you know, saying someone is hurting me and then they're not believed. You know, if you think about that, only 14 or 15 percent of these types of cases are estimated to be reported. Then oh. the reasons not to tell are are staggering. You know, oh, well, what if I? What if they don't believe me? Or I feel like this was my fault. Or I feel like it was it was somehow my responsibility. And so another thing is we always want you know the parents to remind the child that the abuse was not their fault. It wasn't their responsibility. We always put that squarely on the shoulders of the offender. But it's interesting. I've, it's very very rare 
that we meet survivors who don't talk about feeling responsible for their own abuse. Really? And just helping them understand that the abuse doesn't change how we feel about them. You know, that it's a, it's a, it's a tough experience and it's unfortunate, um, but it absolutely doesn't change. And, and it is interesting to me that so many survivors that I've worked with over the years, they, they will describe this sense of, you know, I, I think people just view me differently, even if they don't know. Even they don't they, they, well, they feel vulnerable, well, vulnerable we're ta- on that issue. We're talking to Troy Timmons, therapist specializing in to- social abuse cases, uh, coming in, calling in this interview from Amarillo, Texas. And I just have to say, I, I have a 50-something friend who still harbors the, the, the wounds of not being believed that it happened when she was, you know, in her, her uh, at that age. You said that classic, around eight, nine years of mm-hmm. age. I mean, still, I mean, still wounded by that. Nobody, the lack of belief. So I, I'm glad you led with that as something can do about uh, that. And um, but I, I hope you'll be able to check out Quinita Underwood's um, her, her her story. I mean, it's extensive and uh, it uh, you know, it brings out so many of these things you're talking and um, helps us. Uh, you know, uh, it just improves literacy is what it does. Um, yeah. I wanted to also uh, before we close, Troy Timmons, talk about. Now I I also want us not to to overreact. I know that there's a there's a larger hazard that we don't act on it. That we act helpless. We're not you know we're not intervening when maybe something didn't seem right. But there's always a there's a hazard and a consequence of of a, not of a false positive where we assume that that's going on. And that what how can we be sure so as to avoid that kind of a situation? Well, I think I think we need to to remind ourselves that there really are many, many, many more good people out there than than the folks that want to hurt a child. And I, I'm glad you you brought this up because it, you know when it's all over the news, we tend to you know go far left or far right. You know, we swing back and forth to the extremes. And you know, I, I don't think we live under a rock. I don't that's not what we're advocating. I think what we say is let's make children less of a target by increasing their assertiveness, by by making making it okay to talk about this in our families and our communities. And 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 not, you know, jump on the hysteria. Okay. That's important I think too along with that. But as I said, I the balance of the um the issue is the prevention of this and not the really the overreacting is a smaller thing. So um, I want for people to know how they can get in touch with you. There is a website, www, as always, dot troytimmons.com, and that's T-R-O-Y-T-I-M-M-O-N-S.com. And there uh, is the, I want to go over, again, the sort of the list of uh, available literature out there, there's your book, Mommy. Please read this: facts about child sex abuse. And you also mentioned the book, uh, Darkness to No, wait a minute. Dark, yes, Darkness to Light. That's one, and that's written by whom? Well, Darkness to Light is an organization. Okay. So if if you go to darknesstolight.org, um, it's a, it's a wonderful organization on the issues of prevention and and treatment, and um, they have lots of uh, links to. Uh, want, you know, really, really good resources. Also on our website, TroyTimmons.com, there's a links page, and we've broken that out for parents, for survivors, for all kinds of different issues. And so I, I would hope that, that people would take a look at that and um, and then go to some of these resources that are actually very helpful. And the Safer Society Press, that's a, a, a publication, public, publishing house that we could also find resources Yes, yes, yes. And Safer Society Press. The author of That's Not Your Job, I don't believe we got that person's name. Well, that's that's actually me. We're working on oh, that. It's you. not quite out just yet, but um, probably uh, by the middle of April. We have all of the artwork done, uh, and it's out to the layout folks next, and then it's off to the presses, so hopefully we'll have something soon. Well, so that uh, that artwork is telling us who your audience is, so uh, you're... Exactly. Exactly. What age um, range is the? It's not your job. Um, directed yeah, we're, to. Yeah, you know, we're going to be looking at probably presenting uh, the bulk of that material in kindergarten, first and second, 
um, since we know that the median age is around nine and nine and a half, we really want to get this information to children before then. Okay, good. So that, that art has to hit it right on there. Well, I am very, very pleased. Um, I'm just going to look and make sure we, um, well, we've talked about what we can do and equip our children. Ah, I wanted to do this before we uh, close. Um, the social media out there is more than virulent at this point. Is there, uh, you talked about uh, the connection, the link of, um, or that child pornography is highly correlated with child sexual abuse, but are there things on the social media that we could also see as a, a marker here before we head out? Yeah, well, you know, I think back to the interest. If someone is taking an interest in in your child, expressing an interest that is outside the scope of, of you know, their relationship, the job that they do, their the need for them to be in that child's life, then I think that parents need to be aware of that. It is interesting uh, having said that, that I think even the the recent research on uh, sex crimes that are perpetrated through the social media, uh, you know, that's typically at the end of where, you know, if you ask that child, do you have a relationship with this person, they would say yes. And so it's just through a different format. The grooming is coming electronically as opposed to, um, you know, one-to-one relationship. And so I think parents need to be looking at that. They need to know what their kids are doing on the, the social media and who are these people and, and probably have that conversation. Very good. Well, I hope that listeners here and podcast uh, reviewers uh, later feel better equipped uh, now um, because I, I think af- after reading of all these cases and by and goodness, Troy Timmons, I can't help but think that right now, there's there's a perpetrator active right now, and so I mean, and we're going to read about it later. So, yeah, I, I I really appreciate your taking the time on our program this morning to to give us some means for um, effectively being a better community member on behalf of these children and uh, and uh, setting the myth straight. So we're not implicating the wrong people, and that we're we're onto this, and we can intervene before we have just so we can change that awful proportion of children that are walking around wounded with this i think that this is this is actually preventable you know it's but we have to look at the model differently and we have to step into the scene as opposed to avoid it and so i'm so thankful that you're being a voice for the children Oh please! I well, I like try try to be voice for all all kinds of people who haven't been heard out. So I I thank you, Troy Timmons, for for being on the program and look forward um, to putting this out on the podcast for those who weren't privy uh, to this immediate conversation. And uh, we'll make sure all the sources that were mentioned today are included in the summary, so that this message just keeps reverberating because it's the stakes are too high if we we don't act when we surely can. Troy Timmons, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Well, that was, uh, as I said, Troy Timmons. He's a, a certified, um, he's a licensed professional counselor at deal- working with offenders of sexual abuse and working with victims and their families on identifying, understanding, and preventing child sexual abuse. Well, we'll be back after a station break hoping to bring on Richard Linden, CEO of the new My Next Gig. Um, This was just launched this month, so uh, we'll be back in just a bit. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. This second half, we are privileged and delighted to have with us Richard Linden in the studio here, Studio A. He is the CEO of Next Interactive Inc. Based, uh, it's nearby in Newport Beach. Richard earned his bachelor in business at San Diego State University and an MBA right nearby here in Concordia University. And Richard launched his first venture shortly after college graduation, managing business development, writing marketing plans, strategies, and eventually groomed the business for acquisition by a nearby competitor uh, in uh, 2006. Since then, Richard's specialty has been in small to mid-sized business operations and cost-cutting initiatives. He's currently the CEO 
of Next Interactive, Inc., and we're glad to have him on the show. Just before uh, you students head out to some uh, spring break where you can think about working on your video product instead of some of those other crazy things you guys come up with. Well, welcome to the show, Richard Linden. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's good to have you on. Congratulations. You've just launched two short weeks ago this new product, this new package deal. Tell us about your one-stop marketplace for both employer and job seeker or gig seeker, as your firm calls it. Well, essentially what we've done is we've created a, an online community for that makes the job process easier. Our slogan is that this, it's the easiest way to hire and be hired. And by streamlining the process, we think that businesses will be more apt to not look at it as, as such an arduous process. They'll be, you know, they'll look at the hiring process as something that would be fun and a little more interactive. And we've actually kind of dressed it up a little bit too. And on the gig seeker end, uh, we call them gig seekers. They're actually job seekers. Uh, what we've done is we've adapted technology that they're already using uh, every day and made it easier and um uh, you know, fun as well to start looking for a job and, and created more of an interactive porthole. And so you originally set out to help small businesses, but you're, you're actually, your clients are, both, the small businesses, are the, the businesses are the ones that are paying for it, and it's free for the, the job seekers, the gig seekers. Correct. My, our philosophy is that people are looking for a job, they're probably low on cash, so why charge them? Okay. Okay. <laughs> It'll always be free for job seekers. Absolutely. Okay. So then, the, so the small and they foot the bill. The, the businesses. So tell us about your demographic. Then, what we're doing is we're targeting sixteen to forty. Um, we originally we had identified the high turnover, uh, the hourly wage sector as our target demographic. But little, you know, as, as we've grown the product and. Um, and, and continue to develop and market it, the idea has been adapted by just about any company. I mean, it's it's a product that it, it businesses across the world are using small components of it. So when put together in a, a single catalyst, we realize that the product is, it, that you can't contain it to a specific injury, in, industry or, or sector or uh-huh. any sector, correct. Okay, fine. So it's interesting because I think when I first approached someone at your firm, it was sixteen to thirty, and then it, you know a few days later it was sixteen or a few hours later sixteen thirty-five, and then a couple of days later it's sixteen to forty. So I think the the dynamism of the uh, of our crazy crazy job markets coming through to what, how your product is uh, is adjusting too. Right, and what you know it's interesting you see that too because it it, it surprised us as well. Um, you know, we use Google Analytics, and little did we know that our uh, the target market or uh, the average demographic age of user, we, we get all this data, and we find out that now it's anywhere from 16 to 60, which is, yeah, it's it's astounding. Jaw-dropping here in the right. studio. Yes. Oh, wow. My goodness. 60. So yeah. um, then tell us then um, – or, or I was thinking, uh, and we've talked a little bit about this before, is if the adage is that we make a judgment, it's a snap judgment in 10 seconds about our impression of another individual, and, and this happens with headhunters and all that, uh, uh, prospective players. So this second, it's a second, 60-second video, correct, the product that you're asking for? It could be anywhere from 30 to 60 30, seconds. 30 to 60. Yes. So, so in 60 seconds, you're giving a whole lot of data away then uh, uh, giving up the data for for the uh, prospective employer so it's, right. it's just enough to float or sink your boat yeah and and you know our thoughts are that and, you know in a quick story for you right out of college i must have sent out 50 resumes but the five interviews that i got i got five offers and we want to give people the opportunity that don't have a, an in-depth or a, you know a distinguished resume the opportunity to always get an interview. And that's what this is. It's With my next gig, everybody gets an interview. Okay, good. Well, um, I w- I'd like if you could give an example of, since you've seen a few by this point, if I, we don't have the video aspect, but there's always a ton of, there's as much audio as video um, in these products. Perhaps for the students that are listening, oh, well, I should say that since we're talking about a large expanding demographic that are your clients now. Um, are there some general, uh, could you give us maybe a, a, 
let's say, a 25 to 35 second uh, audio example of what makes a one fine product. Well, I, I don't think I can give a perfect example because we've seen such an array of that right? video resumes from artistic, creative, um, plain, introverted, and then we've got people that actually put time into professional edited resumes. It's really interesting. But if, if I were to do one, I would start – I would jump in real quick. Like I would tell people why they would hire me, why I'm the ideal candidate because I'm, I'm funny. I'm outgoing. I'm – I. I work hard. I can make people laugh. I can work great in a team setting. And I would I would just talk to my strong points mm-hmm. and um, try and throw a little little humor in the, the, the video as well, but keep it relevant as to what you're applying for. Mm-hmm. If I were applying for a banker's position, then I would really want to talk to just my accomplishments. But if I'm applying for a sales position then I, I definitely want to be outgoing, charismatic, and really uh, show the the viewer how much personality I have. Because ultimately, in, in that industry, people buy the person, not the product. Right, right. So it, the the research that one does will show through and how that they're they're gearing that the video um, right. for that. So because I remember seeing in preparation for this uh, some viral video that went out where the guy did everything to entertain the the uh, prospective. Uh, employers out there, and I mean, like the, the large business setting, and he was a, a laughing stock because he would just try and entertain them, and he, he said nothing about his, uh, you know, abilities or uh, accomplishments. So it, so that's that's one way you show how prepared you are is by learning how to target that video audience Correct. properly. Okay. Well, is this um, now? You've talked about there's an algorithm or several many algorithms that you're using. Is it kind of like a, a dating matchup situation? Is that what you, you were able to sort of dissect and uh, put into your product? You know, it is. We do have a part. Um, one of the the filtering functions. The, what we've learned through the research that we've done is that businesses they have there are certain employees within organizations that really shine. And I've noticed more often than not that a business owner will always say, I want another so-and-so. Um, so one of the things that we did was we give businesses the opportunity to plug in specific characteristics that they're looking for, which I would agree is similar to, to a dating site. And on the other end, when an applicant fills out their, their profile to make their video resume, they have the opportunity to plug in. It's up to – I think it's 5 to 10. We're kind of playing around with the number. Okay. Still working on it. Right. 5 to 10 what? 5 to 10 of their char- their characteristics that really – that make them who they are. And we create an algorithm that matches them. So not only can – anybody can apply to, to any position on the website – but we also want to feed businesses because, again, our, our value props are affordability and efficiency. Value so, prop. That's what it's called. Okay. Right. Our, that's, not an, that's not an abbreviation. That's what, okay. Value proposition to proposition. businesses. Okay. And, you know, we want to give them the right person the first time. And ultimately, our goal is to reduce overall attrition across these high turnover industries. Very good. So um, let's see. Statistics show that applicants have a 71% better chance of getting hired with the video resume. So how long have been, have employers been relying on the video medium for uh, getting a look-see under the hood? Well, it's the concept came about in late 2006, but you know, I, I can't say anything for for that I, I don't think it really was the world wasn't ready for it it's <laughs> because it slowly died off quickly and then with the uh, as YouTube continued to develop and Skype became such a such a a normal way to communicate my little brother and I came to you know we came together and thought you know what why not take an outdated antiquated service and bring it into a virtual world Everybody's doing this. Everybody's Skyping. Everybody's putting putting videos up on YouTube. Everybody's using social networking, social media. Why not use it for the job industry? Okay. Right. And it's been very, very widely accepted. Well, fine. Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, the more I think about um, the uh, – 
the whole idea of the video, the more I think the sky is the limit and what you can do with it. And I, I, I have my own ideas. I'd love to sort of figure out how to put together my own and have a uh, uh, I, I would like to think some some a new approach to that, but I guess every everybody's every but the next one is more creative than the last one, is it? It's ultimately it's become somewhat of a competition. It's people are putting more and more effort and artistic creative um, input into their video resumes. Of course, even mine, mine's very plain. I'm just talking and smiling, but you you would see how highly produced some of these are becoming. Who's getting to see – whose video are you saying to? You're, you've, you're running your own company. You're looking to – always keeping your options open? I actually used uh, – put mine up to use as the dummy profile. Oh, that's right. Because in, in, on your mynextgig.com, we'll put that right. website up. Why not? In the podcast summary. And and so it's very easy to follow how uh, everything is done and the, the resume, the, the application, the, how it all works. Now, I oh, I also wanted to uh, assuage concerns for people that are concerned about this data being mined by uh, others that they're not even aware of. So you, you assure me this is a closed system. How does that work as far as opting out if they have to? Right. It's a 100% closed system. And first of all, all any optional, I mean, all data on top of your first name, last name, and email address is all optional. We do not send out any type of spam emails. Um, well, that's thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> and the the way it's been developed, all notifications are within the system as well. Okay. So we we do care about, we don't want to be that company that is constantly... Um, ultimately, we want to be something that, a business that you want to work with, and not the the company that you you can't wait to click the unsubscri- um, unsubscribe button, yeah. right? Okay, well, good. Well, you really you really know what your your clients need on both sides there, so that um, that's good, and so it's a it's a reassuring sort of feature about that because one one doesn't we don't any of us get to see where that opt out button is it's not set up in the menu for many things that we provide data and so that's uh, i know and it's constantly being discussed in the in policy uh, setting um, circles and you know and consumers right. here of the media so well um what um who's your competition right now our main competition I mean, I really don't even want to say because the last thing I want to do is give them exposure. But you have competition. You're not <laughs> yes. the one and the only. We are the only website in the world with this technology. The process that we patented where you can post, watch a video, interview, and hire all within one system that completely cuts the time involved by 70 to 80%. Wow. That is extraordinary. Right. You are doing them a lot of service. Absolutely. Wow. Time means a lot of money there. So um, I want to see here um, what concerns me after we talk about the creativity involved here is do you think that the employer starts to get involved and obsessive with the the quality of the production and not so much the content? Is that a hazard or does that – that's just an individual – sort of situation and employers know how to cut through all that and they, they know what they're looking for. That's actually a really good question. Uh, one of the ways that we keep it, um, we keep the eye on the price, keep them focused on the quality of the candidate is A, the the matching, the characteristic matching from the smart system. We give them the employee that they're already looking for. And secondly, before you can view any type of video resume, we there's also the the same type of written resume right below right on the on that page okay so we w- the way we've set it up is we want people to see how qualified they are then the next step is watch the video and it's it's a mini interview essentially i mean right. one sided but th- we've set it up in order so that they would see the value that that candidate brings to the table before well, I think it's um, the one-sided is still to the employer's advantage because you're you're keeping that the applicant is just keeping the conversation going, and how well they can do that is really uh, the one-sided. I guess means it's lopsided as far as how the applicant, the job gig seeker, is able to sort of comport themselves all the way through. How long is your video? Mine is about. 32 seconds. 32 seconds. And yes. I noticed my – I didn't look at tons of them, but I noticed one went on for four minutes. And I thought, well, you know, I think Richard Linden taught me in preparing for the show that that, that four minutes is an excessive amount of time. And uh, not to sound that I'm uh, 
attention deficit riddle, but um, I thought that 60 seconds really does give a person a great deal of opportunity to make it clear. They could list their credentials, list their accomplishments, their education. I mean, so, um, but yeah, like you said, depending on who to whom they're pitching that, how much they want to talk about that versus just do an art performance piece for a barista job. Same philosophy with a standard resume. People always say keep it to a page. Right. Video resume, keep it to a minute. A minute. Right. And yours, third. Okay. Well, I think that's just about, excuse me, all the time that we have today. That's about all the time that we have. This is unfortunate. Um, and I want to uh, thank Richard Linden. He's um, the CEO of Local Startup, of uh, MyNextGig.com. We'll put that on the podcast summary so people can take a look at that. It was just launched 12 days ago. And the longer he's in business with this firm, the more uh, demographic he's taking in with this product. Who's going to be making this video? So I appreciate your coming in this morning on Ask a Leader and uh, wish you success in uh, your launch. You're, you're seeing the number raising exponentially in the the hits that you're getting and uh, well there's hits with one thing but uh, submittals is another right hits versus acquisition and our numbers are astronomical all right we're very pleased okay well uh we know we're not going to get a field trip through this is all virtual so there's no place our kindergarten uh through uh sixth grade classes can go and, and visit there but i um I, i'm gonna be curious to see how some of this uh, develops around here and as i said wish you success thanks richard for coming on the show today thank you for having me well, that was a real treat to hear from Richard. We are um, going to close out the show. Um, as I said, this is uh, to give you uh, students out there and anybody maybe has got a little more time on their hands coming up, a chance to think about how you want to produce your video. We're going to uh, now close. And uh, coming up next, as always, is George Rosales with George Had a Hat. My uh, Before I... Uh, hand this over to George. I just want to say next week, uh, it's going to be the beginning of March, and that's uh, Women's History Month. It's also, my show will be a couple days before International Women's Day, which always lands on March 8th. Sometimes it lands a little bit more on calendars in other countries, but we'll give women their due on the show next week. So um, I want to thank everybody for listening. That's a wrap today. Talk to you next week. Hey, look me over, lend me an ear Fresh out of clover, mortgaged up to here Don't pass the 